the Incomparable Podcast, number 105, September 2012. Welcome back to the Incomparable Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and I am convening another edition of our book club. We are going to be talking about a trilogy of books by uh, sci-fi writer, I guess sci-fi and fantasy writer, Joe Walton, who we love. Uh, we recommended her book, among others, extremely highly. And uh, and now we're going to talk about this trilogy of books set in an alternate history universe uh, um, in the aftermath of World War II. Uh, joining me today are the very well-read Scott McNulty. Hi, Scott. Hello. It's good to have you I- here. Uh, it's good to be here. Does I it make you feel re- good that every everything you say you know is going to cause extra work for that poor guy who's trying to make a supercut of everything you've ever said on The Incomparable? <laughs> I feel very, very sorry for him. I don't know. He volunteered to do it, though, yes, so it's his own fault. You've, you've dug your own grave, mister. Yeah, exactly right. And now that'll be in there because every time you talk, it's more work for him. So just talk exactly. a lot this time. Also joining us, Dan Morin. Hi, Dan. Hi, Jason. Nobody's tried to make a supercut of anything I've said, and that's probably good. That's a, well, it would t- it would take too long. I mean, the whole premise with Scott is he doesn't say very much. I like to think that if you put all of Scott's appearances together, they actually do create some sort of cohesive hold that possibly causes your brain to melt from the inside out. He's playing a long game. It's just a theory, though. I have no evidence yeah. to prove it. Now, Dan, you've only read two of these books, correct? Two and a half. All right, so halfway through the third book, we're going to kick you off? I thought it was called Half a Crown for a reason. Mm. You've only read a quarter of the crown. It wasn't that's, whole a crown. A uh, also joining us, Glenn Fleischman. Hi, Glenn. Hi. I've, I've tried whole crown, but it's too rich for me. I had to go to half a crown because, you know, lactose intolerant. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> that's a little too much information, but thank you very much. I'm glad you're with us and you I'm feel okay. I'm glad to be here. Uh, and also Serenity Caldwell. Hello. Hello. I have read all of the English currency books. Well, the ones that exist. That's good. All three of the ones that have been published. Anyway, uh, yes. we, we will fire off the spoiler horn as we go so that you can, if you have not read all these books and you want to uh, and you want to tune out uh, at any point, uh, we'll let you. We'll, we'll give you some warning. Um, but uh, to get started, uh, maybe before we file off, fire off the spoiler horn, I should I should explain um, the first novel, Farthing, before we give away too much about it. Um, it starts out – one of the things I really like about this book when I've described this to other people is that it it has a great setup. It starts out as essentially a, you know, an Agatha Christie novel in a slightly alternate universe, and I, I thought that was very funny, the idea of doing an alt-universe, you know, a, 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 an alternate history Agatha Christie novel. Um, and for a while, that's what it is, and then it suddenly is not that anymore. But I, I, I thought that was a great, um, a great without giving too much away until we fire off the spoiler horn. A, a, a nice setup that you you think you're reading one book going into it. I really didn't know what to expect. You think you're reading one book, and it turns out um, that it's all a it's all kind of a sham, and you're actually reading something very different. Yeah, as a as a student of the. Uh appeasement of uh, Neville Chamberlain's incredibly horrible attitude and sort of British Anglophilia leading up until... Uh, British actually, Anglophilia. Brit- I'm sorry, British... Was that a Who album? Teutonophilia, excuse me. Yes, there were four of those. Uh, British Teutonophilia leading up and into World War II, even when atrocities started to become known. You know, I love these books because, you know, I've always, I've always been bitter about the British attitude. No, I felt I actually felt like these actually explored something that's critical to the British character beyond the science fiction 
part of it that you you have the you know the events they describe you sort of branch off at a certain point but um you know there were plenty of parts of the british public of the british aristocracy and royalty um leadership that would have been perfectly happy to deal with hitler i thought she had a great historiographic basis, historical basis of where she chose these very particular branches. It wasn't arbitration. It makes stuff up. She didn't have to sort of um, create an alternate history years before the point she branched off. She took a very logical place and, um, and it, uh, I don't know, I guess I was pleased by seeing what the outcome would be. Right. Because we should say that when the, when this book starts, we're in a, we, we realize we're in an alternate history where something has happened and World War II's progression has not happened the way that we thought it would. Right. The wars are still going on, right? You have, right. Uh, Eastern, you have an Eastern Front war that Hitler's been able to wage because he hasn't been busy on the Western Front because either he's subjugated all the countries or he has appeasement with England, which made sense because Germany and England, the, the Germans were actually sort of considered the, the English as at least, if not inferior, you know, not totally inferior, not worthy of being necessarily invaded. So, uh, in fact, you know, the German invasion of or attempted invasion of England in reality was part because they just wouldn't give up. You know, it was it was sort of this, you're bloody minded. We're going to batter the hell out of you because you won't, you know, give in to our Teutonic leadership. Well, and then the the other thing which doesn't really come up as much, although it's alluded to a couple of times, is that it, this is also a war where America never got involved, right? Right, right. Yeah, as I recall, and someone correct me if I'm wrong, actually, there is sort of a bit of a historical narrative change way back because isn't it America's not involved because America got decimated by the Great Depression and never came out of it? So there's different I don't know. I mean Charles Lindbergh is the president and, the yeah. and, and America book, yeah. yeah and America has not um has remained isolationist essentially. And that that has that is a change, and there's some changes in the uh, in in the the Nazi government's uh, entreaties to the to the British, and it's unclear exactly what the point of divergence is here. But because right, um, we never, I recall no mention, and maybe it comes up towards the end of the third book, which as I said, I haven't read, but um, never any mention of Pearl Harbor, which would yeah, be well, the sort of a a defining of... event there. The 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 Asian front does not really come into it as much, though. I know the Japanese are mentioned in the third book. I think they're. I think the deal is America's trying to appease Japan because they feel like the war in Europe isn't theirs. You remember, was it Coolidge? I mean, World War One was really where the U.S. ended its its isolationist phase, and then you could see the return to that in right. the twenties. Anyway, and you know, America didn't want to get involved in World War Two. It's still very reasonable. So, ostensibly, with Lindbergh as president, I mean, we're writing the backstory. This is our fan fiction version of Farthing, right? Where the series is is you know Lindbergh instead of trying to. Uh, you know, portray the Japanese as a menace, the Axis powers, the, you know, Europe's already basically settled with England and, and uh, Germany deciding their positions and Russia is being battled. So um, you know, America allies itself with the Japanese who are taking care of China and Korea and the rest of Asia. Right. And they just want to stay out of it and be left alone. Uh, we'll fire off the spoiler horn for the first book only now. Guys, I think we're about to run into a lighthouse. Just yeah, that's right. There's lots of fog. Spoilers are in the fog. It's England. It's foggy. It's good. So, so what ends up happening is that there's this. Uh, what we're really watching here is a takeover of the English government. So um, this is a this is all kind of a plot. There's a murder at the house that we think is part of this Agatha Christie thing, and we have two narrators. There, there's. Um, uh, our, our Carmichael, our police investigator, who will be the character who carries throughout all three books. And then there is um, 
uh, what's her name? Mrs. Khan, Lucy, Mrs. Khan, who is a who is an English uh, woman of some uh, some standing. Some she's from a, I think a good family, but she's she's married a Jew, and therefore uh, she's destroyed all of her social standing. And what it turns out that this is really relevant because anti-Semitism is is on the rise as a part of this. The fact that they made a deal with the Nazi government, and um, and. Uh, and she's at the house when the murder happens, and Carmichael comes to investigate, and it turns out that it's this actually larger conspiracy, and this this uh, murder mystery turns into uh, something quite horrible, which is really a coup uh, the, and a takeover of the English government by um, by these people who are um, not – they are not very nice people. No. They're kind of jerks. Con, by the way. Con! Con! No. Ms. <laughs> Gone. No, and she, her, her husband is this is this nice fellow, but everybody views him with suspicion just because he's Jewish, and and her likewise, and and, um, and there's an interesting scene where she goes out riding, and there's a they're shot at, and uh, and uh, it, it seems like this bizarre turn, and it turns out there's that they've like hired a guy to um, to uh, as part of this cover up to attack people at this at this uh english manor it's just a, it's a crazy uh turn of events where you realize that you're not you know you're not reading the book that you thought you were yeah and as a, again as a student of that era of british history i'd say that the anti-semitism that she describes was pretty thinly veiled and already existed there's already that sort of restriction as there was in the united states at the time it was all you know sort of under the surface so she's tapping into that notion that instead of that becoming less and less acceptable that you know the plight of jews in europe the entry into World War II and then like progressive post-war changes in English and, you know, a lot of, a lot of the developed world would make anti-Semitism less and less acceptable. It's like, no, no, <laughs> our good man, our good friend Hitler, who's taking care of all those lousy oh, Slavic yeah. people and those lazy Dutch and whatever, he's taking care of them in Europe. Well, we'll have things well in hand in England, including with our Jews. Yeah. And it's, and it's really... I mean, it's really horrifying. What I what I've been saying to people is, it starts out like an Agatha Christie novel, and then you realize it's actually more like 1984. Because really, what you end up with is this uh, takeover of the English government through this assassination that happens, and the farthing set this this group of people who were who were key to the deal with Hitler that's cut that keeps the English um, uh, from being invaded and instead makes them allies of of the Germans uh, leads to. Uh, you know, they. You can see that it's going to start happening. The rounding up, the rounding up of the Jews, and and because uh, Lucy and her husband, uh, because she married uh, a Jewish man, David Kahn, who's a you know very nice, smart man. You know, they end up having to try and and escape the country because um, they're going to be. Uh, you know they're going to actually he gets framed for this murder because the whole idea here is to set this up as a Jewish conspiracy when in fact they're killing this guy because he was um against these sort of uh these anti-semitic policies and was going to you know have enough power to maybe change the course of events and so they they killed him so that they could they could take over and the guy, this guy who you meet early on Mark Normandy, Normanby who you view as being this kind of a scary kind of awful person and uh and maybe he actually did it and in the end the result is not just that he did it the, the result is that he's the prime minister of england he profits yep. tremendously <laughs> oh my god this was only a little bit 
Yeah, I had a little bit of an undercut with this book in that um, I was misinformed as to which was the first book in the series. Oh. So I read Halfpenny first. Um, so I already knew everything that happened pretty oh, no. much in the first <laughs> Oh, that makes it a little less effective. It does, yeah, it does It does take away a little bit of the thunder. There's still a lot to like in the first book, I think, even with that. Um, you know, sort of seeing how things were, were put together. You um, read it like a prequel. I mean, you do, except it's a mystery where you've the ending has been spoiled for you. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, you know who murdered the person. <laughs> so it's like, well, all right, I don't need to worry about that. The murder plot is still an Agatha, Agatha Christie plot in the sense that there are red herrings and you're trying to figure out what the, the mechanics are of how they died and what, and who exactly was involved. But right. it turns out that it's not really that important of the mechanics of it. Right. Because one, um, the police aren't going to be allowed, even though our detective uh, Carmichael figures it out. He does figure it all out. He can't actually do anything about it because they've decided to frame David Kahn. Right. So uh, so on that level, it doesn't matter. And then it also doesn't matter because there's this whole bigger issue, which is that Normanby is going to be prime minister. And right. that's really bad. But uh, but that's the whole idea is that Thurkey, the guy who gets killed, is, is actually somebody who could stand up to them. And they're eliminating all possibility for – uh, for opposition in this takeover of the of the British government with these fascists, basically reminds one of uh, V is for Ven- or V for Vendetta, v for Vendetta too, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. I, I mean, straight. Although less, I mean, you're at a different end of the lens, but you still have that thing. It's like the government has moved to a totalitarian state. Yeah, and it's chilling. There's a novel called One that, for the life of me, I read this a few years ago, and I cannot. It's impossible to find on Google. Search for a novel called One. There's no way to find it. I cannot recall the author. <laughs> Maybe someone will. And it's this incredibly – it's like 1984 and it's like this in the sense that it's – it's um, there's the banality of shifting to a totalitarian state that happens sort of so subtly and in so many incremental steps that you don't exactly notice it. You know, it's the boiling the frog slowly thing. And right. I felt like One takes that to an extreme where the state – is absolute totalitarian, but people live their lives more or less until they get caught up in the apparatus when they fall afoul, even accidentally. And that's uh, this one is much more starkly painted, but it's it's the ordinariness of it where you're like, you know, they're off the country estate and they're kind of imaginations, and then it's an excuse. It's the it's the horsed vessel thing. It's the burning of the Reichstag. They keep talking about it. It's the the martyr. That's the excuse to then uh, implement martial law and clamp down and make everything much, much, much worse. The thing that got to me was it, it reminded me a bit of there was an interview with Ray Bradbury in one of the issue uh, editions of Fahrenheit 451 that came out uh, mid 2000s or so. Um, and what's fascinating to me about that interview is always that, you know, people are saying to him, well, it's a, you know, uh, it's a book about censorship, right? And he says, well, not exactly because the people in Fahrenheit 451 sort of ask for the sort of soporific effects of, you know, being, uh, you know, inoculated via television, et cetera, et cetera. And, And it strikes me is that this is sort of a similar approach to a certain extent in that you have all these people who seem to be very into like, you know, hating the Jews already. <laughs> so they sure. kind of are like, oh, great, yeah. this is just what we're looking for. This sort of vindicates our entire philosophy. Um, and that's an interesting uh, approach to that because it shows that, you know, well, obviously the same thing has to happen in Germany to a certain extent, right? This is like, you know, despite how charismatic Hitler is and how he comes to power, there's a certain amount of complicity coming from the general populace who are not fighting back against that. And that seems to me very much what's happening in England, too. And in fact, as you know, we go along in further books, it's become like people were worried they're not like harsh enough. 
oh, there's a great line in a later book, which is not exactly a spoiler, where, spoiler, but precisely where someone says, oh, I hear you're a fascist. The other person chuckles and says, well, I'd like to be or something like that. You're like, oh, well, yeah, they, they, they treat fascism very oh, positively. Oh. And it's hard to think of that as like a yeah. it's so it's such a loaded term from our point of view, given our history. It's weird to see it in a context where it's not considered like an insult, right? Because if you call someone a fascist today, there yeah. are very few people who would take that as a compliment. No, in the third book, there's there's also that line that is uh, that is uh, oh fascism. That sounds like fun. Yes, it's a good bit of fun. Yeah. One of the things that is true in this book, as well as the other two books of the series, is that we alternate between the view of Carmichael, our uh, our policeman who's investigating this crime, and in all three books, there there is a a young woman who is. Um, fairly innocent and brought up to believe sort of in the base beliefs of English society in this world and then has her beliefs uh, challenged in some way. And that, that happens in all three of these books. But in this case, you know, we've got we've got the example of uh, Lucy where she's uh, she's through her marriage. She's caused this this kind of a, an issue. And you think, well, good for her that she went ahead and has a mixed marriage, even though they, the the snooty. English people don't like it, but then you realize that we're entering into an England where anti-Semitism is going to run rampant, and it's actually a much bigger problem for her. But she's still got a lot of these these attitudes that, uh, and and you can see her kind of fighting as she realizes what is actually happening uh, in her country as it goes, which I really like because you do you see it, you see that long slide, and it's not. You know, it's not any sort of twisting mustaches of evil people, right? It's this progression. Uh, it's just one small move after another. Like you said, it's like boiling the water with the frog in it. It's one small move after another that inevitably leads to this terrible result. It's horribly plausible. That's what makes them yeah. Yeah. chilling. And I think I'm going to – this isn't a spoiler, but I think as the books progress, as you get further from the branch, we can talk about that. But I think especially in this first book and and somewhat in the second – it's um it's which takes place in a not too distant period of time from the first um sort of right on the cusp actually uh you you get the sense of something that is so i had a, a reading it and actually made me upset like watching the election coverage and so forth <laughs> because it was hard i read the three of them actually quite rapidly one after the other the three books and i had to keep reminding myself that this wasn't actually the reality i was facing even though it's sort of at times you heard rhetoric that made you think you might be I I wonder how what how everybody um, reacted to reading this book. I was really affected by it, and um, to the point where I didn't read the second book right away, even though I I really enjoyed this book. And it was one of those as the second Joe Walton novel that I read. I thought, okay, she's great. I'll read anything that she writes because she's she's great, and I will even if it's a book about dragons wearing hats, I will read it. Um, and strangely enough, she has that book, right, Scott? <laughs> She does. I am reading it right now. Yeah, see? Dragons wearing hats. What's that book well, called? You, spoiler alert. No, sorry. Uh, Tooth what? and Claw. That's right. That's the big ending is that it turns out there's a dragon with a hat. Exactly. Um, tooth and Claw. Or a hat right. with a dragon underneath it. Ah. I just I, – I spent like the next week thinking about this book and, and, and in a, because it, it is uh, – it, it ends so darkly that the, this is not a happy ending um, in any stretch of the imagination. Britain is sliding into – uh, into totalitarianism and uh, the the Jews are being persecuted and it's just it's just awful. And as somebody who, in, in addition to generally being against totalitarianism and fascism, is also in a, is also married to sh- somebody who's Jewish, I, I find it deeply uh, extra 
extra disturbing. And and I couldn't move to book two because I was it just it was very effective in making you think, um, what if it were you? In a way that that mm-hmm. um, I think I said on a, a previous podcast when we were talking about um, Paolo Bacigalupi, right? Hey. A, a, that one of his tricks was that he does just enough to put you in the mind that it's you in that terrible situation. He says, you know, uh, he does those tricks where he he makes sure that there are like blonde. The, the refugees who have no money and are and are, are 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 fighting each other. He makes sure that they're blonde and redheaded and things like that. And he says that it's like you can't just say uh, rich uh, white Americans. You can't just say this is something that happens to other people somewhere else in the world who don't look like me. And Joe Walton does that too in this book. I feel like as I'm going through it because it's set in England, I have such an affinity for for England and they you know they speak our language and they're us, right? And you see this happening and it makes it that much more effective. So I was really I was really affected by it i wonder uh what you guys felt scott do you remember that far back hmm let me think well i was i was uh, i did read them all in rapid succession but i was quite hit by the the tragedy that is the character of carmichael even in the first book i mean the ending it's it's he's just trying to do the right thing and and he he's he believes in the system for most of the book and he he just wants to you know solve this crime and he does solve it then he is not allowed to actually bring justice to uh, the the situation, and and they use uh, his personal life against him and threaten him so that he has to do the you know the thing that he doesn't want to do at all and just sit idly by, and it only gets worse for him in the next books. Yeah. So well, I mean, we should uh, say that not not only is our one one protagonist. Uh, in this situation where she's married a Jewish man and this is co- a, a huge compromise because of what's happening in the country. But our other protagonist, the the cop, who just wants to solve the crime, he, it turns out he's gay. And he that is used that is used against him to make – not only is he not allowed to solve the crime, but he basically gets a promotion to be under the thumb of the evil prime minister. And with this blackmail, he cannot – he kind of can't get out of it. So right, because you have to keep terrible. in mind that at this period, that's illegal Ill- in, yes. the, in Great yes. Britain. Yes, and and it's not really becoming a more liberal society. <laughs> no, it's not kind of so going much. the opposite direction. Well, I mean, and you know that that part does not really diverge from the historical precedent, no. which is to say, it was illegal. Yeah, yeah. yeah but how long? You know, remember Alan uh, Alan, Alan Turing, Turing. Yeah. He killed yeah. himself because of what he had to face, and yeah, it's uh, it's there's also uh, the the resonance there too is that you know there were Jews lived in Berlin during World War II. Not that many of them. They were under the protection of a powerful Nazis who liked them as performers. There was a fiction. They were told they'd, con- they'd been converted and whatever. And they were under the same thing. It's like if they took a toe out of line or didn't do exactly what their master sponsor said, they you know be sent off to the concentration camp. So it's not that odd that you have these sort of token, you know, closeted homosexuals in England during this period who could otherwise be sent off to camps on the continent. In this book, uh, where they shipped off all the people they wanted to get rid of, the Jew- you know, the the Jews who didn't yeah. have papers or whatever. Um, it's not that weird that you'd have people under the thumb. That was what Hoover, you know, did in this country. Uh, Well, it's all about leverage, right? Like they've all got, they've got leverage over him and he's useful and can be controlled as opposed to someone else who put in the same situation who might not have that. Right. All I know is you got to be really careful about what kind of tea you drink in this book, apparently. (laughs) Yeah. It turns out Carmichael's tea gives, you've given everything away. Lemon and China tea? You're a gay boy. Yeah, that's uh, it's outrageous. <laughs> Your tea, sir. Uh, Ren, wh- how, how did you end up feeling after you read this book? Uh, I was feeling very, very disturbed after reading the end of the first, because the first really does kind of build up in the last couple chapters. Yeah. From, she brings like, down the hammer, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's at the point <laughs> where the, you know, Lucy Khan and her husband have to basically go on the run and think like criminals to get out of the country. And uh, you kind of really it hits home. Yeah. His picture is everywhere as this killer. And he didn't do it. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and they have to they have to hide and change their appearance and try to flee because they are being set up. And it's really, yeah, it's really tough. It's a dark ending. Yeah. And boy, was it lucky that, you know, her governess ends up being somebody who can very conveniently ship people out of the country. Ship you to Canada. But I, let me think, I, I finished Farthing and then almost immediately downloaded the second book and started oh, yeah. reading like I it it was really strange because I didn't know from the progression I didn't actually know that it would be a different main character uh and the way the format of the books were going to change as uh as we move from book 1 to book 2 Right I I have expected to see Lucy in Canada in Yeah exactly book. I was like oh well you know I want to know what happens to them and their like four orphan Canadian French children <laughs> Um but yeah well that's the that's the interesting thing I find about her writing style for these books in general is it's a it's very intriguing to me that she chose the first person for Lucy, for all three of her female narrators, yeah. and there's a female narrator in each one of the books, yes. uh, but they're different narrators, right? But all young young women who are very fit into the culture, and yes. and then have a disillusioning moment, and those are all first person, and Carmichael is not first person, and each one of them chooses a very specific way to react to yes. their disillusionment, which than I others. find interesting. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but. It's interesting that Carmichael to me always stays, you know, distant to a certain extent. Even when in the third book we get, you know, a lot more of his personal history and personal past, it's there's it's a weird sort of screen because even though he is technically our, you know, he's our link protagonist, he's in all three of the books. I didn't feel like I knew him the best until two thirds of the way through the third book, at yeah. which point it sort of clicked with me, like. This is this whole thing is Carmichael's story, and the you know the first person protagonists are just there to basically provide color, which you don't really connect. <laughs> okay, we're gonna we're gonna fire off the spoiler horn right here for the second book. I really loved him though. I just thought I there's something about um, about the way the character is written. I just I really enjoyed his point of view and his agony and and what he was trying to do to be right and. Um, isn't there a little breaking bad in this too, where it's like, well, all, you know, I could be the head of the secret service and I'm going to kill people and torture them and set up torture procedures and be all Dick Cheney. And the end of the first book is basically he gets betrayed. Oh, be a good man and go back and forget all this nonsense. Basically, and, yes. You know, which is, which to me is a very affecting part of that, which is the fact that he's basically, so, I mean, the key thing is he tells Lucy to run. Right. I mean, not That's explicitly, right. but he basically lets her know that they're coming to arrest her. So he, he calls he calls the house. Right. And he calls the house to her and, and says, we're going to come and get you. Exactly. Don't 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 flee or anything. Exactly. Don't don't run away to Canada. <laughs> wink. Um, wink. And that was for me the point where I really started to like Lucy, because for the beginning of the book, she's very she's and, you know, I think this was clearly intentional, but she's so fluttery and so. Like, you know, clearly she thinks about the issues, but she's always sort of talking herself down and things like that. And it just, I sure. found her 
a little bit more annoying at that. But she's, you know, when that whole I love that scene. My favorite scene in the entire book might be the scene where she realizes they have to run. So she goes up and she's thinking very practically about anything. And she steals a bunch of stuff from her mom that she can hawk later for money. And she just does it right. Like she doesn't even she's like, I didn't even think about it. I just went and did this thing. I was like, all right, there we go. Now I'm starting to identify. And she takes um, this precious this precious diamond that has been. Yeah, she doesn't even know she, takes, she accidentally takes this huge diamond. It's the Pearl of India. And then you end up with the scene with um, with Carmichael, who I, I also quite liked, but where he essentially gets betrayed, right, by his sidekick. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, and one of the things that's sort of harder to get, especially if you read the second book first, is why he would continue to <laughs> Why you know, would you hang do out. that, though? Well, why would you, you know, like, why would you continue to work with this guy? And granted, he doesn't necessarily have a choice in the matter, but also he sort of forgives him, right? You know, it says, like, well... You know, he was just doing his his job and, and doesn't really hold it against him. It's like East Germany. Remember, you know, East Germany in the height yes. of it, it's like they found out later everybody was spying on everybody. And the recriminations and the, you know, the sort of, uh, they're still going through it now, material still being recovered. And I don't know how many people there were in East Germany. There were some tens of millions, right? And some substantial percentage of the adult population at one point or another was on Stasi's pay and filed reports yeah. because that's how you – kept yourself and your family from being destroyed. And despite the government's nature and its evilness, most people were just under observation. They weren't harmed. So you could tell yourself, all I'm doing is keeping things in order. This person isn't going to go to jail. They're not going to be disappeared. This is just part of keeping order. And it's that slippery slope. Yeah, this it reminded me um, of The Lives of Others, which is a great movie. If you haven't seen it, about about the life of people in east germany and, uh, there's a spy master and there's somebody who's being spied on and it's a bent one of the best movies i've ever seen actually do you remember the bit in the incredible lightness of being where um there's a, a bit where uh god does the protagonist come back to czechoslovakia there's a bit where he realizes one of his close friends has basically been informing on him all along and yeah. the guy kind of shrugs and goes huh you're like, yeah. oh, I guess that's what that's it was like what it's wow. like and, and i mean that's now, that's a sense in all these books is that uh there is that, which is like, it's just, this is the way the world is. And, you know, it, it's not, it, it happens so gradually. And then it's just, that's, this is how it is now. We have, you know, Norman B as prime minister. And, you know, basically we all agree that, that uh, Farthing is a really good book, right? Before we move yeah, on. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, moving and, and affecting and different. I liked it. It was, I mean, again, it was hard to judge it for its own merits. Given yes. You went by situation. Yes. You're unstuck in time. Um, and I find myself, unfortunately, having to compare it to um, Dorothy Sayers, um, who is also quoted in the front piece of Hey Penny, um, and clearly is an inspiration for these books. Um, and while this different, you know, deals with a very different subject matter in many ways, the the in the part of it that is sort of playing an homage almost to Dorothy Sayers, I found falls a little bit flat for me, and that's only because Dorothy Sayers is an absolutely fantastic writer, and those books are you know, way up there for me, but it's still, I still found them enjoyable. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, it, it isn't those books, right? It's, it's instead. Right. right. This, well, no, clearly not. I mean, know, those are very strict. Those are mysteries and, you know, they're right. set in the similar period and stuff like that. Right. Whereas this is the, it's like this the more speculative fiction. Yeah. And the, yeah. The mystery part is not the most important part of yeah, these books. The alt history ends up being it. So Haypenny is funny because it's the, uh, it's the plot to kill Hitler. Hitler comes is going to come to to London for a visit and watch a play because, of course, the, the all good assassination attempts happen in the theater. That's just how it is because they're you're out in public. So so we well, have while watching Hamlet, of course. Yes, 
so so Hitler's coming to see to see a play. Well, he's coming for other things, but they're going to have him see a play with with the prime minister. He's a big he loves the theater, Hitler. He does. Um, and uh and Carmichael is put in charge of of security, isn't he? Or he's no, he's investigating a a bombing. <laughs> Cuz there's a bombing uh where a, a, an actress is blown <laughs> up. <laughs> Inexplicably, yes. why would they blow up an actress? And it begins to unravel, and it turns out that that's part of this this uh, you know anarchist slash. But they were they were practicing. They were practicing to blow up Hitler in the, his do. in As his you box. Do. Exactly. Exactly. You don't, don't want to not. You don't want to amateur blow up Hitler. You want to get it professional. Well, if you're going to blow up Hitler, you you don't want to blow him up a little. You want to blow him up all the way, not just part of the way. No yeah. half Hitler blow ups. No, please. no, no. You got to you got to really blow him up. So so so. Carmichael is investigating this, uh, which is funny because now we've got our our compromised hero here um, put on the case of trying to prevent people killing Hitler and Normanby, who are awful people. And it's like, yay, Carmichael. <laughs> Except, <laughs> woo, no. Well, yeah, that, that is incredibly difficult as a, I don't know. I, <laughs> I had great. a lot of trouble with, first of all, I had a lot of trouble with the narrator who I just found. Oh, so so incredible. the other the other character is Viola, yeah. who is this uh, actress who is at, cast in this gender reverse, which is a trend in in this alternate world. It's a, a trend of the theater in London is to do gender reversed plays, mm-hmm. so it's a gender reversed Hamlet, and she is she is kind of annoying. <laughs> if, She's if, kind if, of I just, a, it, it, her motivations are just on like. I don't know. It's a lot of hand waving, right? Like, <laughs> oh, why are you going along with this plot? Well, you're kind well, of being gets, blackmailed. She gets well, you're yeah. kind of in love with this guy, but are you? Uh, I don't she, really know. she gets in over. She gets in over her head, and and she's in with the plotters. Um, and she's not. She's yeah. She's totally in over her head, but she goes along with it. And yeah, that she's kind of romanced by the guy, but also but she's kind of really. He's kind trapped. of trapped. He's kind of a jerk. He is a jerk. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he is a controller. Irish anarchist. It took me a very long time to peg the relationship between the two of them, and then I realized, and I wondered if this was intentional. It reminded me very much, as I presume at least some of you have seen, Notorious. It's a very good movie. It's a fantastic movie, but what what struck me about it is basically it's a, sim- it's a movie in which Ingrid Bergman is basically convinced to narc on her husband, who is like a Nazi who's fleed to South America. Um, <laughs> More Nazis. And- yeah, more Nazis. Well, I hate those so guys. Cary Grant is the is the is the sort of the, the American spy who's like her handler essentially, and is trying to convince her, and they sort of also fall in love as it's going on. But sometimes he treats a lot of the time he treats her very callously and very coldly. And his name is Devlin, which is like the thing where I was like, wait a second, like because that's the name of the character in yeah. Penny too. And so I wondered if some of that dynamic was taken or is sort of an homage to that. Because it reminded me very much of that same thing. There's even scenes where they're driving around in the car together, and I don't know. It's huh. it's very interesting um, how many parallels there are to drive there. Well, she's a master of illusion, as we know from among others. She's she can weave in. She, I mean, her it's very it's original, but boy, are there just so many things that ring bells here without it making it feel derivative. Yeah, but you're right that Viola is. Uh... I mean, an annoying character, and she she's got a lot of she she just kind of gets mixed up in it, and there's a lot of sort of like, well, should I do it or should I not do it, and and and, and that's to be or not to be. Hmm. Uh. Well, and all the time you're trying, you know, you, do you have to? Did you end up having to like pull yourself back every five seconds and be like, 
Wait, it's Hitler. Of course you should blow him up. Like, yeah. Like, that was the whole thing. Oh, it no, just, but I thought that was a clever... It is clever. It, it hurts my head a little bit. Yeah, I mean, there's even the bit she meets Hitler, and she's like... Um, he's charming. He seems he's nice. He's sort of charming. Yeah, he's nice. I like his mustache. Well, and you're rooting for Carmichael, and then, like, you do but get... There's a lovely scene at the end where <laughs> all of a sudden he's like, holy crap, I just saved Hitler. What the hell yeah, is wrong yeah, with so, me? So at the end, he does succeed and in, Norman B. in thwarting this plot, and, and, and Hitler is unwounded. Unwounded. Norman B. is wounded, but survives. Uh, and there is a line in the third book where where Carmichael says what we've been thinking in the second book, which is, I didn't even realize until after it was done that I could have just done nothing and they would have both been dead and that would have been better. And it's he just he just literally nature, his though. his policeman instincts take yeah. over. And that right. and that's the He just the, wants to do it. He's the guy doing his job. He's doing his job. And yep. and we're so programmed in watching this, in, in reading this book to you be want the crime to be solved. You we want, want the crime to be solved. To be averted. We, we want our friend to do his job and do it well. We don't you know, all, all of these things we want to have happen. And then you have to say, But it's Hitler. Just kill him. Right? But I, but, but Hitler even though even though it's not actually a good thing that that he's been set on by his superiors he's yep. he's doing his job and in some ways with Carmichael I mean that's all he's got right first off he's being yeah. blackmailed basically and you know this is the only thing it's what he knows how to do <laughs> and and so he does it and um that kind of compliance of all the people to not comply with this situation and yet he is enforcing he you know it's the gay man in the in this in this uh oppressive society and yet he's the one who's enforcing uh enforcing the society and keeping it together uh even though it's completely antithetical to everything he believes because it's his job to do it which is which only gets stepped up in the third book when he's got even more authority his his reward right in in doing his jobs. Okay, great, thanks. Now you're the head of the secret police. So yeah, at the end of everybody. Yeah, do yeah best promotion ever. Yeah, excellent work in saving Hitler. He gets a medal, I believe, too. I think he Hitler does. He like gets gives a him German medal. And give, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a German he medal. Him he's again. Like, yeah, he gets to fly there and he's got he's Zeppelin a, privileges now. From he's now a hero on. of the state. There no. are Zeppelins, by the way. In the in the key question are. <laughs> Are there zeppelins in in, in, in all these books? Not only is it a parallel universe, and that means that there are zeppelins, but also the Germans are successful in the war. And of course, the Germans love the zeppelins because you know zeppelin. Is that do we we figure that earlier on? Is that's the that's the thing? If you ever wonder if your if your reality is shifted and your alternate history, you just have to check. Are there zeppelins? Yes. Yes. You're in an alternate timeline. Yes, we had this. I, I was talking to a friend of mine just yesterday, and she said. Zeppelins are so impractical. Why would they have? She was watching Fringe. She was watching the, the <laughs> and she's like, "Why would you? They're slow. They're why would you have them?" And I said, "The only reason you have them is to say, hey, we're in a parallel universe. That's why there are zeppelins." And one day at my office, I, there's a zeppelin that goes around occasionally in the Bay oh Area God. giving tours, and I saw it out the window, and I had a moment of like, "Who's the president?" And and uh-huh. Charles Lindbergh. <laughs> no, it's what color is the Statue of Liberty? Mr. Bitler is the president. Well, a- of course. Actually, He's no, been the president for. What, what happened was I saw I saw the uh, I saw the Zeppelin and then I said, well, wait a second. Apple is the most valuable company in the world. The Giants won the World Series. We got a black guy in the White House. Maybe we are in a parallel universe. The Zeppelin proves it. That's right. Um, but that's I, a premise I, for your book. So I like the, I like this book, even though Viola is really a, an annoying character, because I really enjoy Carmichael coming to the fore here and solving this solving this crime that you don't want him to solve, <laughs> and and yet you Hooray! know he's going. Hitler's to... not dead. Oh. <laughs> I know Hitler's not dead. <laughs> no. <laughs> 
and 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 what's interesting too is that in viola's narration she's um uh she's narrating it which you mean you assume that means i mean that sort of gives away that she's not going to die probably because she's able to narrate it and as as it goes you get hints that she's not in a very good place at the end well and this is interesting to a certain extent because you do get this despite the fact that those characters narrate in the first person um and i think ren was arguing that you you always keep your distance from carmichael to a certain extent um what's fascinating to me is that those narratives are far more colored right because in in lucy's case anyway she's written it down right that's actually her that's her book she's yeah. recounting the story right? it comes and back to a certain extent i don't know if you get that as much with viola explicitly but i also there was something in the third book to the extent that i've read now where the narrator remarks something about well you know that's how i remember it now or that's how i'm relating it or something like that so you also get this idea of sort of a uh like someone recounting a story right whereas the ones with carmichael are actually you're in the moment right you're with yeah. him listening to him so in some ways you are more distant from his thoughts but at the same time you're closer to him because you're right with him as he is discovering all these things it's not done from like a retrospective position i liked hey penny let's move on if there are no objections to talk about half a crown okay we'll fire off the spoiler horn and uh the spoiler horn hit dan and now he's dead sorry (laughs) dan uh that's the spoiler someone why didn't you save me carmichael so Half a Crown, third book. I just read this last week. I, I, I spaced these out a little bit rather than completely consuming them uh, in, in one you know in one sitting or, or very short period of time. Uh, and in this one, uh, Carmichael has risen to basically being the head of, of the Gestapo. The English <laughs> the, Gestapo. The English Gestapo, the watch. They're more polite. Yeah, well, of course. Well, they have tea. Exactly. And, and so now he's, he's in charge of the secret police. And... And it's still under the thumb of Norman B, who's now this wounded guy. And and there are more extreme elements of society that are kind of conspiring against him, which is really scary because, like, wait a second, you know, yeah. it's like he's not bad enough. We need somebody even, even more extreme and even more evil. He's soft on terrorism. But they are building a they're, they are building a concentration camp in England so that they don't yeah. have to ship their prisoners to Europe to have them Progress. killed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not things, entirely. Things are going. Yeah. Things are going swimmingly. We want our concentration camps British made. That's right. And and the um, and then the alternate uh, story here is his ward, basically, who is the daughter of his partner who gets gunned down in the in the showdown at the end of the second book. Right. Yep. Um. Isn't that right? Like they're in the car and they get out and he gets. Yeah, he gets shot. So, so anyway, the um, the 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 narrator here is his ward. So he's he's sort of adopted her his partner's daughter because his partner's wife left them, and uh, and so he he doesn't really raise her. He sends her off to a series of good schools, and she gets a a a, a an education far beyond what she would have gotten as a a commoner, essentially. And she knows all these high society people, and she's going to be. Um, uh, introduced at a at a I don't even know what it is the, to the it's queen a debutante coming out yeah she's coming yeah. out as a debutante coming out year it's introduced to society yeah she went to a finishing school in Switzerland and he's he's gets her anything that she needs because he feels totally guilty about the fact that his partner was shot in that previous book and Speak- he can get whatever she wants because he's the head of the secret police the secret police yes yeah. well 
they also speaking of coming out, he's also managed to disable her gaydar while she's growing up so that she's incapable of perceiving that he and his partner Jack are in love and potentially sleeping together, but not while she's there. His man. She's off at she's off at school most well, of the time. I think it was so. easier when His you had man. live when you had live in manservants, it was easier to hide. That's my true. feeling. And and His she was Batman. never she never stayed with him. No. Oh, is that right? No, she did. She lived with them during when she wasn't yeah. off. She was just usually off. No, no, lived. no. Didn't she she, she says that times? she had a room, but she almost never stayed there. She was always with friends, or she was off at school, and she she basically never. I mean, he he. She was his ward, but at arm's length, sort of the oh, whole. Oh, I don't think I got that. He never stayed. Yeah. I see. Yeah, yeah. You got you got the sense that he was un. Well, it wouldn't be proper. Her. Just because I guess right. that's true. Two confirmed bachelors. <laughs> there's a lot of you know. I should bring up at this point. There's one of the things that it sort of gets uh, more and more so throughout the books is like there are all kinds of homosexuals to this book and all kinds of things. And you're like, it, it, she she dwells on it a little too much. Like I realize it's a plot device. It's part of like blackmailing people because you know then they're under their thumb. But the prime minister is gay, and the guy who was killed, what's his name, in the first book, he's potentially maybe he was gay, but no, he was having an affair. It's like well, in the third book, there's the guy who's like the the in high up in the government who, who right who is actually sympathetic to getting rid of Norman B, and he's gay like, too. Gay, 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 and it's I mean it's fine, but it's just the funny part is I think she deals with it. it's a little more like oh, and this person is what do they call them? Not Apollonian. What's the uh, or is it Apollonian? <laughs> There's like a name I remember, for, but yeah, yeah. That, in Athenian. the first book, Athen- oh, Athenian, yeah, yeah, Athenian versus yeah. something like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's their 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 code for it. It's just a little coy, I think, in some ways. Um, and there's that great scene in the in Half a Crown where Carmichael takes Jack to a, a gay bar, like one of the only safe gay bars. Oh, in, yeah. in London, and he hates it. He doesn't that, like that queens, is a fantastic. Like that is a fantastic scene because that yeah. that's that moment. That is part of the moment where you really kind of start to get a sense of Carmichael, and it, yeah. and it is almost in the inverse because he he takes Jack there because it's their anniversary, and we've seen Jack a little bit, but he's not really been much of a character, and here it's sort of like. You know, you see, you think about him having to act like the manservant and be in the background all the time and wonder what his life would be like. And then here we get the reverse, which is that Carmichael does what he wants and goes to this club and hates every minute of it and ends up talking to the bartender for a little while. And the bartender listens to his sorrows and sort of understands him as bartenders do. And then the bartender's like, I should stop talking to you because your your guy's going to be jealous um, but that's fascinating too because they're like he recognizes people there. It turns mm-hmm. out that the the emissary from Imperial Japan who's going to the peace talks uh, yes. is there. Uh, it, it's it's just and there, there's some really and I tried to imagine it actually as a movie because there's there's a scene where yeah. there there's some of, some of the men there are dressed as women and there's a a man who's passing fairly well as a, as a woman and, and they they dance. And it's just I, I thought this would be this great scene in a movie because it's 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 oh. it's it's completely inverting your usual expe- expectation of a man and a woman on a dance floor. And it, yeah, it's just it's I, I really love that scene because it says so much and so much about um, the oppression and so much about the, the 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 undercurrent of society. And these people are involved in this terrible society. And yet they have this one place where they can go. And then also the fact that Carmichael just hates it. It's just not for him. He's completely suppressed everything about that part of his identity it's just not part of who he is so in this um this book is interesting because it, it it's uh it's clearly the the last book because 
things um, come to a head. Things come hmm. to a head, right? It, it, instead of it being this well in a series of novels, Carmichael, you know, is is getting Jews out of England on the side while in, investigating things and doing horrible things for the government. But no, in fact, in this book, um, he's got powerful enemies. They know and can blackmail him as well. Um, it's sort of the other police force, and there's this infighting because this is the sort of government is starting to crack up a little bit, and there are these these competing factions and 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 the plot against Normanby, and um, it it comes to a head where his ward is arrested because she goes to this fascist rally because it might be fun. Oh, fascism! That sounds like a kick. And oh, but they're too fascist. Well, well, that that's the thing is that it turns it turns into a rally that's an anti-Normanby rally because he doesn't go far enough, right? And then there's a, a riot, and she gets arrested, and the pol- leader of the police feels like um, he can use her against Carmichael, and Carmichael um, does does increasingly dangerous things because he doesn't want to be pushed around, and I think he feels on another level like he sort of has nothing to lose. Um, and uh, and it all falls. I mean, it all falls apart, kind of pretty dramatically, to the point where he first off he just walks uh, up to the place where they're transferring her from one jail to the place where they're going to torture her, and just says, "We're taking her," which shows that his attitude is the watch can do whatever, and the police can you know can suck it. <laughs> the one, we're going to take we're going to take her, and we're going to walk away. Which is like, wow. I mean, totally you know, totally above the law. Totally outside whatever we think of this society. It's like totally against the rules to do something like that. And he's like, whatever. I'm the head of the watch. I can do whatever I want. But what happens is that they, uh, he takes her and they take Jack. And that's the that's the really uh, – as ma- many things that happen at the end of this book that are positive, um, they take Jack and he doesn't make it. He he kills himself rather than give up secrets about Carmichael, and uh, which is which is just – tragic it's it's terrible and there's a moment where carmichael thinks about giving up the girl (laughs) just to get his guy back and feels incredibly guilty about it afterward but uh so you know he ends up on the run and it's it's amazing because you're thinking i I don't know i read it as you know i'm reading a series and you almost expect the premise to stay steady and instead she blows it up like halfway through this book everything has completely been blown up yeah, I'm. I'm gonna tell say right off. I thought Hafcon was really disappointing because I felt like she, bro- like you said, she broke the mood. There's too much change. There's uh, she tries to pack too much in, and then you get the Irish revolutionary who is a war hero <laughs> comes back comes and back, he does yeah. something stupid where it's barely explained at the end. Like the <laughs> the end was this sort of giant. He's a very wreck. bad sniper. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to say really quickly uh, about the three female characters right right. i was saying earlier on so as not to give away spoilers that you know they all make very specific decisions and in part based on their class i think and i think it's very interesting and kind of fascinating that the girl who was brought up entirely in high society chooses to flee rather than face you know fascism and everything that's going on right the girl who was brought up in high society and then turns her back on it who is Viola because she's, I mean, oh, it's, right. it's established that she's pretty, she is a, you know, a, she decided Duke's to be an actress or instead. something like that. So she's yeah. the black sheep of and the family. She spurns, she spurns that. She decides to, she decides to basically blow go up Hitler. The, yeah. Fight. Yeah. And then we get, um, 
we get Royston's daughter, uh, Elvira, who is by all rights and means a commoner who has been given the rights of a noble. And she chooses to basically use these and turn them into something like Carmichael, where she chooses to basically investigate and uncover and eventually goes to the queen with her. (laughs) Yeah. So, so, um, I, I kind of like the fact that everything gets blown up and falls to pieces um, because this whole series is about like weird and dark endings and, and bad feelings and all of that. I was surprised by the end of this book because she tries to put a happy ending on, on this series. And, and uh, it's a little bit of a queen ex machina. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, I mean, in the end, in the end, it's sort of like, uh, but the spirit of the British people, comes to Ooh, comes to life at the end. They don't they they don't like the fact sending people to a concentration camp on the continent. That's fine. But we're not going to build a concentration camp here. That's not British. That's terrible. And the queen has something to say about it and the queen, you know, uh, it it I don't know. I mean, it, it it's nice that it's a happy ending, but it didn't it didn't seem particularly realistic to me that that would be the solution to all of this is that they would um you know, they would they would take his police files that prove that Normanby was involved in the plot from the first book and and give it to the queen and simultaneously you know Elvira is talking to the queen and the guy who got the book from Carmichael is waiting right behind her to give the book to the queen and you know she wanted a happy ending so she gave them one she's given the speech she's given the speech the queen gives the talk at this ostensible peace conference which is sort of dividing up the planet into different realms and she's like Hitler's right there. She's giving this talk about England turning its back and whatever. And I'm like, well, Hitler might just choose to invade at this point. Well, right, right. He's well, but massive- Hitler at this point, I mean, we're talking about 19, what, 64, 65. Hitler at this point is an older man. And it sounds like, well, Germany oh, the- is, you know. Yeah, he's mellowed. This is a mellow Hitler. Mellow. Yeah. Well, and they're, and they're extended because they're carving up Russia, and and they've got. I mean, that that's. I, I did wonder about that. That that. What are the consequences of this for England? Does England end up getting, yeah, getting uh, attacked, or do they just sort of let them let them go off and and you Have know your it's, democracy? It's not necessarily. Well, it's not necessarily a fantastic. I mean, just replacing Normanby doesn't necessarily mean backing off a little bit is not the same as turning their back on. <laughs> Well, Germany, and that's what Carmichael right? kind of says at the end of the second book, where it's like, yeah, you can kill Hitler and kill Normanby, but the country is so far down the rabbit hole of fascism that a new leader is not going to magically cure it. It's a slow process. Well, that's why her her premise here is that is that enough of this happens that it's a bridge too far. That the the society the the, the oppression gets a little too extreme, and people who would go along with it to a point. It, it goes – they push it a little too far and then people say, oh, well, this is indecent. You shouldn't do that. And it's things like the like the concentration camp opening up and there's that scene where they're on the TV show and they announce, oh, we're, we're going to have a concentration camp right here in England. And people start to feel like, oh, wait, wait a second. That's not right. So that's her premise is that pushed far enough, eventually the frog realizes that it's in boiling water and it jumps out, Well, I guess. I suppose she, she's trying to say I think that people were gradually getting more and more comfortable with it but they found themselves in like – an East German situation, you know, before the wall comes down and there's not much dissent and dissenters are sort of shipped off to the continent by people like, in fact, uh, Carmichael, you know, in the watch. Yeah. But, you know, they're, they're sending people off all the time and he's smuggling people out of the country and, 
you know, went through his dumb descent. But you know, the the thing that I didn't like in the in this book too is that protests are and they're peaceful protests, but the the watch and the police are apparently somewhat overextended too with all the security that has to happen. And um, you know, they haven't made every other person a policeman or a watch officer. So uh, the peaceful protests start to happen, and Carmichael's like, "Yeah, let's not crack down on those. Let's let those just go. Make sure nothing happens." And it's right. Jacobson. Is that the name of his? So number two guy right. who's in on shipping out Jews secretly and is Jewish himself is like the token Jew in the watch to show that they're tolerant or something. Uh, that, that whole thing where like Jacobson just sort of like, all right, well, we won't enforce this. So there'll be more and more peaceful protests and nothing could go wrong with that. And then there's enough peaceful protests covered by the media. And then the queen finds out, oh my gosh, these terrible things. Well, she's been watching people being export, you know, sent away for 20 yeah. years to concentration camps. And now she's like, well, I really rather didn't like that. I think things have gone a bit too far. So it's time to change things. I thought it's a little too convenient. Uh, yeah. Although, I mean, to be fair to the queen, she would not have been queen for very long at that point. Um, she would have only been queen since fifty two. So, um, oh yeah, what's so, the whole plot about the so Duke of Windsor years, coming back? And, and, and that's actually a really fascinating thing is that her her uncle, who was the king who, who abandoned, he he abdicated because he wanted to marry American divorcee right. Wallace right Simpson. He in, in this, and he he was in reality accused of being a Hitler sympathizer yes and he fled and you know when he abdicated and he lived in france for a long time and so in this book he is basically uh part of the plot to overthrow i mean you get the sense that it's part it's going to yeah. overthrow the government and he's going to basically come back and reestablish himself as the king yeah. <laughs> and get rid of the rest of the royals and all of that and and put in a new fascist uh, uh government um and so so the queen on one level you know, this has affected her too, and she's young. I mean, she's 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 young and came to power after all of this had already gone on. So, in some ways, you could, if you want to be charitable, this is the queen, um, the young queen, feeling like she actually can make a difference. This is the one place where she can step in and and get her country back on on the right track. I, I do love the, the logic, though. It's that um, there, there was this point when uh, in Russia when the Tsar, you know, people were like, well, if only the Tsar knew about what was happening. It was always the, you know, if we could <laughs> only get word to him. And there's isn't there, there's a movie I think in which a very early film in which that sort of portrayed of the Tsar finally being told, and he's like, yeah, whatever, I don't care. Peasants can go, you know. <laughs> Bite me. And uh, and that's it. Like, well, if only the queen were to know. Well, this young woman happens to be in the right position to, you know, the whole Just so happens. crazy sequence in which she gets her dress and she manages to change. And then she goes to the debutante ball and she signals yeah. the queen, queen's man. And then she gets taught and she See, has they're a not, moment. They're, they're then, looking for boom. her on the streets. They're not looking for her at the debutante ball. That's, That's right. True. Why would you look for her at the debutante? So uh, yeah, I just I felt this one was full of. Uh, I think there's that thing. The Duke of Windsor plot just goes nowhere. It's sort of ridiculous. The Irish, uh, you know, IRA guy who becomes a war hero and then you know is part of the plot. Yeah. In the second book. I, I didn't need to see him again. Well, and I'm like, and he shoots. <laughs> he tries to shoot Hitler and he misses him. Like, oh yeah, yeah this guy got shot. Bad shot. Like, what the hell was that? Like, why did you even introduce him? And then the heart of gold of. The of uh, you know the Royalson's daughter, she finds her mother again. Oh yeah, Elvira finds her mother who abandoned her. Mother's great, and the stepfather's great too. And oh, they've only known each other all these years for what? 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 Yeah, Scott, what did you think? Um, I I uh, don't remember much of this book. Yes, even though that was the last one. Obviously, I don't know why. What about the Zeppelins? The Zeppelins uh, escaped me. Although I I. 
obviously talking about it now has is recouped by my memory and i just thought that i i looked at the book as a character study of carmichael and how he is trying to fit into this system that he is an outsider right and then because of his uh, his homosexual uh ness yes, <laughs> yes. And, and um so he he's trying to be something that he isn't because uh, right. he, he can't tell people about it, right? And then he becomes even more of something that he isn't. And then he tries to work against the system while he's in the system. But he's also, you know, killing uh, the Jews and helping the Jews. And he's just being pulled in so many different directions. And he he wants to see Hitler die, but he has to save Hitler because that's the, his character. And then at the end, you know, his his lover is dead and his job is gone, and uh, who knows if he's really changed anything or helped anyone. Uh, and wow. it's just kind of – it's very sad. I just don't yeah. like him sort of going off jauntily like, well, Jack is dead. Isn't that terrible? I'm like, oh, no. Come no, on, really? I, I don't agree. I, I think he's I, – I didn't read it that way. I mean I think I, he was I, deeply I think moved. The, I think at the end he is he's – what would be interesting if there was ever any more uh, writing in this in this universe is what happens to Carmichael now because he is sort of he's lost everything at this point. I mean, I guess he's got his young ward who he didn't care about other than to make sure out of some sort of obligation that she was okay, but uh, she's disturbed by the fact that he's gay because she's told that and she has the feelings that somebody in that society apparently would have about that. And uh, and uh, his she's his not a fan. Yeah, and his partner is gone. And his job is gone, and he, gone. he's a representative of this evil period in right. history. That that oh, yeah. he's he's a war, he's a terrible I mean, terrible criminal. Yeah, in, exactly. Bu- horrible yeah. violator of human rights who would be it's like in, uh, Goebel or Himmler or something. Yeah, yeah. He's, so he's yeah. like he's he's um. So that that is fascinating. That that is the dark part of this, and I, I think that I think Carmichael is the reason that this book is is good. I I I I liked it. It isn't as good as the other two, and the ending does seem a little bit too like struggle to have a happy ending. But Carmichael's story, uh, and and seeing more about him, I thought that was I thought that was really good, and he really came out to the fore. This is this tragic. One. Yeah, and it is so. It's so sad. Book four will be two and a half quid, and it'll be at the Truth and Reconciliation Committee meetings after the. Uh, after democracy is restored. Well, I mean, I, I actually, you, you, it's funny. I, I wonder, you mentioned that he's essentially a criminal, and I, I wonder if uh, in a reformed uh, uh, Britain oh, yeah. that they might he put him like, on trial. Yeah, war, and, well, war crimes. War crimes. And, and then they would have to bring up, and then that's when the cons come back and explain that he helped them escape and that they bring the Jews who he funneled to Canada and other places. And I mean, it might be actually kind of interesting to read the trial of Carmichael. Well, he, could, he could go all doctor on us and travel the world bringing democracy and other you know, bring, going into Germany with all of his knowledge of all the international relations he had and toppling the governments there, coming to America and getting the Lindbergh successors. He's out. just a cop. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a not. Cop. He's not a guy who wants to change the world. He just wants to do his job and and have people you know brought to justice. And then he's just sucked into this whole kind of weird political happening that he has no control over. He's just a pawn for all these forces. Oh. And he just wants to live his life with Jack and be left alone and, you know, solve crimes. But he's suddenly, you know, at the end, he's uh, the Gestapo head. And then, you know, the queen, he's out of work and Jack is dead. And 
Yeah, I, I did. For him. I did have yeah. a moment. I mean, I think it's realistic that that it would be like, well, you know, you you can't be here anymore, so you're gone. But at, at the same time, I kept saying, but 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 wait, <laughs> he's good. <laughs> he, right. he he he. You know, he made so all this much. happen. You you need it. Shouldn't can't somebody? Isn't there somebody out there like the guy who brings the book to the Queen? Say this is Carmichael's book. Oh. He was fu- he was funneling p- Jews to Canada all the time. He's not a bad guy. And you know, but he, but uh, the tragedy there is that, as the Queen says, he's Norman B's creation. Even if if it turns out that that's not really true, he's perceived as being this horrible person who is the head of the watch, and he's part of the Normandy Norman B thing. And so he's on the outs, which is really unfair. I think it's I think it's realistic that he would be treated that way. But you 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 look at that and you think it's it's just it's a shame because he you know he he had he's sort of the reason we got to this point but he also did all these terrible things as the head of the watch and i, I mean he can't saved lots of that. jews but he also it was responsible for the death of lots of jews at yes, the same time and saved so, hitler and he saved hitler <laughs> so uh the uh this trilogy in in the end uh we we like it and recommend it let's go around uh ren yes i think very much so um it was very very disturbing but I am a fan of alternate history uh, always, even when it's terrible. And these books were quite good. Yeah, it, it's you know this is a very common you know what if the Nazis won World War Two is a, a commonplace uh, alt history subject, and I, I I liked how how different this treatment was from some of the others that I've read. That you know Fatherland and uh, James Hogan had a the Proteus operation, which was about an alt alt World War Two, and there 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 are so many. There's a whole the, book of alternate man, Hitler's. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's an important one yeah. is the uh, the uh, uh, Philip Dick one, uh, the Man in the High Man Castle. in the High Castle. Yeah, uh, Scott recommended liked. Uh, well, I I think I recommended it to uh, the people on this podcast, and hence the podcast. So yes, Thank I you. would. Uh, you're welcome. I would recommend it. I thought it was very good. I mean, it's very sad. So if you're looking for an uplifting trilogy, perhaps don't read this. But uh, I, I mean, I en- I enjoyed the fact that I I spent a week dwelling on how shocking and awful the first book was. I mean, it, it, the resolution of it. I liked it, but I you know you have to like the dark sad ending makes you have to think about things and right. qu- question yeah. your life and all that I, you got to be exactly. in that mindset but but uh very enjoyable it's not what i would call a beach read unless you like to cry no. on the beach unless it's a, <laughs> unless it's a very it's a winter winter it's, cold it's a foggy beach cold read. beach and you're yeah. shivering <laughs> and the spoiler horn keeps going off yes downpour winter Yo. beach read but yeah, I think Joe Walton uh, is is a fantastic writer, and so and I will read all of her books, and I'm reading another one now. So right. dragons, thumbs up to her. The cats, dragons, yes. mm-hmm. yeah, thumbs up. Glenn, you too. Happy. I, to I've read been these? so lengthy elsewhere in the podcast. I'll just say, yeah, I recommend it, even though I'm, I'm disappointed with Half a Crown. Not so much that I'd say don't read it. Unlike a lot of the trilogies we discuss on this book, uh, right. on this podcast, the book's part of the podcast. Right. Uh, I think it's. Not as strong a finish as I'd like. She does tie things up. And the first two books are, first one especially, second one quite good, and the third weaker. But as a trilogy, it holds together. She tells a complete story. And I love her work. I'll read her over and over again. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, this was this was good stuff. Enjoyable in a 
challenging sense of enjoyable but yeah. and fun how she mixes a bunch of different stuff together like you said uh glenn the master of illusion she's she's got lots of bits of things that she kind of sticks together and if she was just writing a knockoff of a of a, a manor house mystery it might not be so effective but the fact that she's got so many different kinds of things in the blender uh and so i, I gotta say what a versatile writer because among mm-hmm. others is nothing like these books <laughs> it's just nope. it's nothing like these books not and i imagine all, yeah. the book about the dragons and the hats is also oh, not yeah. like I mean, these, this, so. it's it's a completely different tone and a different obviously all the characters are dragons so that's quite different yes uh, but yeah she's she she's a she i think knows how to write yeah she's a good writer she's written a, a gurps book so why I not know what that is who is gurps gurps is a role playing game system grup yeah, and I she writes a uh, – we should say she writes uh, regularly on Tor.com. She's reads uh, reads books and uh, does interesting commentary. She's done a reread of the Patrick Rothfuss uh, books, The Name of the Wind and The Wise Man's Fear, in great detail. and A very detailed reread. And uh, really good stuff. Makes me want to reread them and, and go along with it. It's almost like she's annotating those books. And so she's, she's a good writer even when she's writing about – uh, other people's stuff so that's that's kind of cool too that she's out there in the world and blogging on tour.com so and i think that her her voracious reading i get the sense she reads a, oh, a lot yeah, that yeah, has yeah, yeah. really informs her writing because she has so many different interests and so many different literary styles that she likes that she can play with it and get create all these crazy mixed up books that she does in a good way all right well i think it's time to close up the uh the book club uh for this week, for this time, and we'll be back. Uh, I, I guess I should say we haven't picked what our next book club book will be, have we? Scott, have you picked? Have you told us what to read yet? Uh, I suggested the Cloud <laughs> Atlas. I don't know if anyone is interested. Oh yeah, well, we'll, we'll I have not begun it yet. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll 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 put something together. We'll figure it out. And when we, we when we do, this is the for those of you who follow along with the book club, we'll post it on our Twitter feed at The Incomparable and we will post it on our Goodreads group. You can find there is an incomparable group on Goodreads and we'll post it there as well so you'll know what we're reading and you can read it uh, and then listen to the podcast. Um, And maybe it will be Cloud Atlas. I don't know. I I would be fine with that. I saw the trailer for that movie and it looks crazy. So we should read the book so that we don't have Tom Hanks in our head (laughs) when we're yeah, you probably want to read it before you see the movie. Before we see the movie, it's a I good point. So. Good advice. Yeah, yeah, and and I've uh, Scott hasn't hasn't steered me wrong yet. High praise. Yes. <laughs> yet the yet yes. the yet is the I uh, you keep nah. the room for disappointment. It's coming. Yeah, it's going to happen. Just yeah. like Hitler, it's going to come. <gasps> no. <laughs> All right. So me. so until next time, until we pick a book and come back and read more books, I would like to thank my guests. Uh, Glenn Fleischman, thank you for being here. Thank you very much. And, I see Zeppelins. And for reading many books. Oh, if you see Zeppelins, then it's alternate Glenn that I'm speaking to. No. Serenity Caldwell, thank you very much. You are welcome. I'm glad I don't have to memorize obscure British currency anymore and their orders now that I've finished these books. She didn't even do shillings, right? Are things shillings? Yeah, shillings. Pennies. That could be the fourth. There fourth, are too many things. Fourth book can be shillings. Uh Good. And Scott McNulty, of course, who reads everything and and uh, sees everything and knows everything. I knew you were going to say that. Yes, of course. And now we'll go through the time machine and thank Dan Morin, who went away. 
just say goodbye. Dan, thanks for being here, even though you didn't finish the third book and couldn't contribute to that part. Well, I'm I'm glad to be here. And I, I've been reading the third book as you guys have been discussing uh, the third book. Very and clever. I just checked for Zeppelins outside the window. Just keep always watching for Zeppelins because that's, that's the telltale sign. I know. I know. Thanks, Dan Warren. Thanks, Thank Dan Warren. Dan. Thanks, Thanks Dan. Thank you, Dan. Even though he's he had to leave us because he didn't want to hear what we had to say about the third book until he finished it. It's nice that he's reading it while we're doing the podcast. <laughs> that's true. Maybe he's finished and he'll he can come back. Yeah, it's keeping <laughs> it's it's keeping him off the streets. I think that's the most important thing with Dan. Mean the, streets of summer. That's exactly right. So until next time, thank you, listener, for listening to another incomparable book club, uh, and we'll see you next time. Yeah, and boy, was it lucky that, you know, her governess ends up being somebody who can very conveniently ship people out of the country. Ship you to Canada. But, yeah. Yeah, sure. Canada's always safe. That's right. It's, it's a fate worse than death. Yeah. Um, but it's it's funny because... They're awful. <laughs> Sorry, Canada. My, my poor country is yeah. ever... The butt of jokes. That's okay. Don't let Scott get to you. You're letting him in. You can't let you let him get inside it's your true. head with his silly Scott, can- Canadian jokes. Go away. Canadians are persecuted in Great Britain, you know. Yes. I hear. <laughs> shipped off to where they ship them to. They don't even know. You can't. <laughs> a new a, no a, place a, you can say Siberia. They, they're used to camps. that. <laughs> yeah. Some it's warm. Ha. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I I have the episode title. It's. Well, that's nice, Ava Brown, but how did you like the play? I don't get it.